All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast. Carter Thompson, your host, as always. Thanks for tuning in. We have unfortunate news that we have to talk about in this episode, of course. I'm regarding to Wisconsin football firing Paul Christ amid the slow start this season. Kind of been a little bit of a disappointing performances from the Badgers since they made that Rose Bowl appearance in 2019. So we'll definitely dive into that pretty deep. The Badgers playing this past weekend as well against Northwestern with a resounding win, 42-7. But the week prior having to fire Paul Christ after just maybe one of the worst losses of his coaching career, a 34-10 loss to Illinois. So we'll get into that. We'll get into some NFL updates. We have to talk about Tua Tagovailoa and the concussion protocol in the NFL. I mean, I was working and producing that game of the of the Dolphins-Bills. We have to go all the way back to week three where this all started. And then, of course, we all saw what happened in primetime on Thursday Night Football against the Bengals for the Dolphins in, in that scary sight with Tua Tagovailoa. So we'll talk about that and how it's just unfortunate that we came to this spot with the NFL and how it got to this and how Tua was kind of it wasn't forced into that situation but it was allowed how he was still allowed to play uh was concerning so we'll talk about that as well and then we'll get updated on our NFL games Packers and Giants going on right now to start off week five in London last team in the NFL to play in London the Green Bay Packers and we'll see how they do today all right let's get started then with Wisconsin football Like I said, last week or earlier this week, I believe on Monday, it was either Monday, I believe it was Monday, Wisconsin fired head football coach Paul Christ. They started two and three. Paul Christ starting his eighth season, over seven seasons with the program. He had a 67 and 26 record as the head coach of Wisconsin, the third most wins in program history, one win behind basically the team and the coach that kind of uh, was the final straw that broke the camel's back here, was Illinois and Brett Bielema. Brett Bielema has 68 wins, the second most in Wisconsin history. Paul Chris sits at 67 and was fired earlier this week. My initial thoughts, and, and I've, had a, I've had a lot of time to think about this one now, but I thought that this would possibly be Paul Chris's last season before the abysmal showing against Illinois this two weekends ago now. I mean, the loss to Washington State and Ohio State, while not totally unbelievable, showed a pattern of the program heading in the wrong direction, kind of, to begin this season. I mean, 2020 was was COVID when they finished, I think, 4-3 and three in the seven games that they played that year. So a lot of things, a lot of factors were maybe given as uh, excuses or reasons why it wasn't a good year. And then last year... Maybe it was still recovering from COVID, right? And how much of a change that year was. And now you see that pattern kind of showing up again in 22. And eventually, that's not going to fly at Wisconsin football. I personally do not like the idea of an in-season firing for a lot of reasons. I mean, you you get lumped in with, when you think of an in-season firing, you think it's because some sort of misconduct for, for a head coach, <laughs> like for me, think of Urban Meyer last year with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Obviously, that one makes sense. But you now, does Paul Chris get just kind of lumped into that kind of class when you think of in-season coaching fires? You don't want, I don't want Paul Chris to be in the same breath as the likes of Scott Frost at Nebraska, Herm Edwards at Arizona State, Jeff Collins, Urban Meyer, when it comes to you're talking about in-season firings. Those guys never were able to get their programs rolling. They weren't having good seasons whatsoever. Paul Christ is the third most successful Badger coach in program history, right? When it, when you see Paul, I mean, we've seen Paul Christ turn seasons around before too, you know? So, I mean, I understand, and I'll, I'll tell you why I understand that the Badgers did it. It's different with, with football, it's different with all college sports now these days with the transfer portal and stuff like that. So we'll get to that in a second. But I don't like in-season firings, especially when Wisconsin has never had an in-season firing in Wisconsin football history. And you're going to, in the first coach 
that you're going to do that to is the coach of this pedigree with Paul Christ and the stature that he has. The absolute, I mean, the alum, he's from, he's a Wisconsin guy, played quarterback at Wisconsin, came in, kind of stabilized the program. After Brett Bielema left, we had those, I don't know, that weird year with Gary Anderson or year and two years or whatever, but he left midseason. Then Paul Chris comes in, immediately stabilizes the program for <laughs> seven years, like I said. So that's why I don't like it. It's just to do that as to have your first in-season firing in program history be Paul Christ, I'm always, I'm not a huge fan of. Like I said, we've seen him turn seasons around before, but that doesn't, and that just because he turns the season around doesn't mean you have to keep him by the end of the season. So they're two and three when he gets fired and say they finish with four or five losses. That's still not up to what Wisconsin wants to be performing at right now. You can still let him go at the end of the season. That's how I always like to think of it. And I'll talk about in a second why they did not do that and why it, it I understand why they didn't do it. But again, I don't like the idea of your first ever in-season firing in Wisconsin football program history being Paul Christ and a, a coach of this stature in pedigree. I mean, it reminds me too. I mean, you have fans and everybody calling for Paul Christ's head as soon as they lose to Washington State and then immediately after the Ohio State game. It reminds me of when we were when fans wanted Greg Gard fired just a year ago or two years ago, and then he won Coach of the Year in that same season. You know, you can turn a program around in season still. That's a very possible thing. But like I said, I don't want Paul Chris lumped into the likes of Scott Frost, Herm Edwards, you know, Jeff Collins, Urban Meyer. I don't want them to be in the same breath as that. This is a different kind of Badgers moving on where this was a very successful coach in Wisconsin program history where Scott Frost, Herm Edwards, Jeff Collins, those guys were not successful coaches in 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 their coaching, Scott Frost at Nebraska, Herm Edwards, Arizona State, stuff like that. So I just don't like how it feels like Chris was being treated after what he's done here in Wisconsin as being the first in-season firing. But like, again, I understand it. And, and here's why the Badgers made this move. Because obviously there's a big difference between college coaches and NFL coaches where you rarely see an in-season NFL coach get fired. Urban Meyer, of course, that's a misconduct thing that that's obviously different. But like, let's take, for example, Matt Rule right now in Carolina. It would do absolutely no good for the Carolina Panthers to fire Matt Rule now or fire Matt Rule at 10 weeks or 12 weeks because there's nothing they're going to be able to do really. I mean, he still has the opportunity to change his season and try to turn the team around this year. But it's not like they're going to be able to get ahead of fire or uh, get ahead in the head coaching hiring process. It's not going to change what players come to this team necessarily next year because it's about money mostly for a lot of these players in the NFL. It's not going to change a lot of those things. Whereas in college football now, the turnover rate of these players and student athletes is happening nonstop. So for a program that's kind of been on the decline, the Badgers. Since the 2019 Rose Bowl, like I said, new Badgers athletic director, Chris McIntosh, made the decision to make this bold statement that the program is committed to winning and won't tolerate slow starts or a decline in the program. They're showing potential recruits and potential transfer players that they're, they're going to compete. They can get, they can, even with the season going on right now, guys can transfer to Wisconsin for next year. And what this shows is, hey... Like, you know, you can get ahead of the curve and say, hey, we're not accepting a losing season. We've got this guy, defensive coordinator Jim Leonard, is going to serve as the interim head coach for the Badgers the rest of the season. We're not just sitting on our heels waiting to make a decision. They can now use this with potential. Re the recruiting is always going on when they bring in recruits to come watch games during the season. You know, now they're going to be showing them the Badgers with Jim Leonard. If it's potential transfer players, players can now see they're not going to be wondering in the middle of the season if they're coming to watch a Badger game or something like that. Hey, is this guy Paul Chris still going to be there at the end of the season? Now they know that the Badgers are going in a new direction. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be interim head coach Jim Leonard. 
But I mean, this is what this is why it happens in college is because your team can still change in the middle of the season drastically. The future of your team can change drastically in the middle of the season, meaning next year with recruits, with transfer players, you could lose guys. The Badgers could lose a a bunch of players on their team right now to the transfer portal if they see like, hey, this isn't a winning program at the end of the season. Paul Chris, we don't know if he's being fired or not. If we're getting, if we're going to try and improve, or if we're just going to sit and hope that Paul Chris can turn it around, you could lose a lot of your own players as well. And that's all because of how this transfer portal, the recruiting process, all of that works now in college football, that the turnover rate can just happen at any time, right? So that is why the Badgers, I understand that they made this move. Doesn't mean I necessarily like it. Like I said, I don't like that Paul Christ has been now the first ever in-season firing for Wisconsin football. That I don't like, but I understand this move. And this is one of the reasons right here, because of how quickly your roster next as soon as next year can change, right? Like in the NFL, those guys are under contract for X number of years. So whoever the coach is next year, unless they release a guy or stuff like that for the Carolina Panthers... They don't have to worry about Christian McCaffrey going anywhere else if they don't want him to. They don't have to worry about their best pass rusher, Brian Burns, going anywhere else because they have him under contract. With college sports, these guys can transfer to another team and almost they might have to sit for a little bit, but they can leave the program and you don't want that, obviously, if you're a Badger fan or a Badger, anyone a part of the program. So that's why they make this move now with Paul Chris to show that, hey, we're not satisfied where the program is at right now. We're not satisfied with how it's been looking for the past couple of years. And we're not satisfied with the direction that it was going. So we're making this move and we're showing the potential recruits, transfer players, and the players that are on your team right now that, hey, we're committed to winning, we're not satisfied with with what's been going on, so we needed to make a change. So I get the move because of the way that college football is these days with how all of these players, they can leave. They can even leave in season if they want and transfer. You got to get the recruits next year. You got to get recruits through. You got to be thinking more than just next year as well with recruiting and transfer, guys. It's all a moving process constantly in college football. So this is why the Badgers made this move to fire Paul Chris. Even if I don't like it, I understand with I understand why it had to be done almost, especially if they didn't think that Paul Chris was going to be able to turn it around. You definitely didn't want a losing season for the Badgers. That could be just detrimental in terms of the kind of growth that they've made since Paul Chris got there could just all be washed away with a losing season. So I understand why they've made this move, even if I don't necessarily like it. So, like I also mentioned, here's another reason why I understand they made this move. Defensive coordinator Jim Leonard, he will serve as the interim head coach for the rest of the season. He is a Wisconsin guy, played safety at Wisconsin for, I believe, four years. He has 21 career interceptions at Wisconsin. That's tied for the most in program history. Went on to the NFL to have a successful 10-year career as well. Came back. To the Badgers when Paul Christ was the head coach, was just an assistant. His first year has been defensive coordinator for five years since. Can he be the long-term solution at head coach? So this is another reason why I think the Badgers made this move. The number one reason is they were losing. This is supposed to be a winning program. And the way that college football is these days with transfer portal players, with recruiting, with the players on your own team able to transfer as well, That's the number one reason why I think they made the move with Paul Chris. Another one is Jim Leonard. He has been the defensive coordinator of many top 10, top 5 defenses for the Badgers. And as a former alumni for the Badgers, he had a lot of interest in recent years to move on from Wisconsin and not be their defensive coordinator anymore. The NFL started offering him defensive coordinator jobs. Two years ago, he was offered the Packers, the Green Bay Packers defensive coordinator job under Matt LaFleur. He decided to turn that one down. 
other college head coaching jobs were very much in play for him. Nebraska, after firing Scott Frost this year, he immediately at the next press conference that Jim Leonard was at, he was asked if that was a potential landing spot for him. He said, I'm very happy here in Wisconsin. So Jim Leonard was waiting for his chance to become the next head coach at Wisconsin football. You just didn't know when that was going to be because with Paul Christ having that successful run early on in his stint as the Badgers head coach, you didn't know when Jim Leonard was going to get his chance and you were worried that the Badgers were going to lose one of the best young coaches in all of football, especially in all of college football. So this will be a good opportunity for the Badgers to see what they have in Jim Leonard in terms of a head coach, not just a defensive coordinator. We saw what week one with Jim Leonard as the head coach brought, a 42-7 to resounding win over the Northwestern Wildcats. That was a big win for the Badgers. This was a very emotional week in Wisconsin. You've seen, if you haven't, a lot of current Badger players have been outspoken in terms of nobody wanted Paul Christ fired. A lot of these Badger players are on this team because of how much they love Paul Christ. So this was a very emotional firing that the Badgers had to do when they got rid of Paul Christ. So this was something that Jim Leonard was going to have to navigate all season, and especially in week one to get these guys ready to play. Got a huge win at Northwestern, 42-7. to So now you're going to get to see what Jim Leonard has as potential in the head coach. Another thing too, like I said, why I thought they got rid of Paul Chris right now, this guarantees that you have Jim Leonard in Wisconsin at least for the rest of the season. No one's going to be asking him. I mean, I mean, there's still other teams that could try to reach out in terms of his curiosity in being the next head coach of, say, Nebraska or some of these other places like that. But you you basically are guaranteed to have Jim Leonard in Wisconsin the rest of the season. You don't want to lose him to another program, especially now after you fire Paul Christ. And a lot of people are very excited to see what Jim Leonard has as potential of being the bet, the next excuse me Badgers head coach. We've seen what he's done with this Badgers defense. They have been consistently a top 10 unit, and they don't necessarily have the best recruits that come into Wisconsin, and yet they're consistently a top 10 unit in all of college football. So I know a lot of Badger fans have been waiting for this moment. I too am glad that it happened, not necessarily how it happened, but I'm glad that Jim Leonard will be staying in Wisconsin. Like I said, I thought Paul Christ, this would be his final year as head coach of the Wisconsin Badgers, and then at the end of the season, we'd see him step down, we'd see Jim Leonard get promoted to head coach, but now you'll get to see Jim Leonard middle of the season as an interim label in front of that head coaching spot. The Badgers will have the rest of the season to evaluate him, and then they will do a full search when the season comes to an end. And obviously there will still be struggles for the Badgers this season with an in-season firing. Like I said, this was a very emotional moment for a lot of these Badgers players with Paul Chris being let go. So that will also be taken into consideration with Jim Leonard's tenure as interim head coach for the Badgers. But you didn't want to lose a guy like this. The Badgers didn't, especially if they thought they were also going to fire Paul Christ at the end of the year. If they saw after Illinois, hey, this guy's probably, even if they turn it around, so even if the Badgers only lose one more game the rest of the year out with Paul Christ as head coach, but they thought, you know what, we can't keep losing three or four games a season, especially some of these games that we're supposed to win, Washington State, Illinois especially. Even if we finish the season at 8-4, and 9-4, and four, whatever it is, we're not going to be keeping Paul Christ. We don't want to lose the risk of losing Paul Christ and then also losing Jim Leonard. So I think that's another reason why they made the Paul Christ firing is because it minimizes the risk of also losing the guy that they probably want as the next head coach in Jim Leonard. So there's a couple of factors that go into why Paul Christ, I believe, was fired in season. Like I said, the way that college football is now with the recruiting, the transfers, the players on your own team possibly transferring as well. And then you got a guy like Jim Leonard who you don't want leaving the program if you know already that Paul Christ will not be returning as the head coach 
of the program. So very interesting. Very sad for Badger fans as well. Paul Christ was a just a great head coach. You might not have liked a lot of the things that he did, but he was a great head coach in Wisconsin football history for sure. Third most wins at 67. It's sad to see him go. I believe he's taking a role now in the front office or management of some kind. Who knows how that stick? He's not that old. <laughs> he's very. He still has a lot of coaching years. If he wants to go somewhere else and coach, I'm sure there might be some interest for him as well. But we'll see what happens with all that. But now it's Jim Leonard's turn to lead this Wisconsin Badgers football program. And we'll see how he does the rest of the season. I mean, we can take a look at the rest of the schedule here. They just had Northwestern 1-4 at Northwestern. They beat them 42-7. Let's take this into consideration, too. If you watched that game yesterday, another thing that was happening with the Badgers football team in just the past couple of years, you have a guy like Graham Mertz who is one of, if not the most highly recruited quarterback in Wisconsin program history, right? And the offense consistently seemed to be the problem. And Paul Christ was the guy calling the offense this year. Last year, he fired his offensive coordinator. I believe it was Joe Rudolph. Brings in a guy from the NFL in Bobby Ingram, former tight end coach for the Baltimore Ravens. And yet the offense hasn't changed in the first five weeks, right? So then Paul Chris gets let go. You see, if you watched that game yesterday, you saw what Bobby Ingram wanted to do as the offensive coordinator for the Wisconsin Badgers. And seeing yesterday... Seeing what the Badgers were able to do through the air. Graham Mertz threw five touchdowns yesterday. The only other time he did that was, I believe, in 2019 as a freshman in the first game against Illinois. And then, of course, he got COVID and missed the next two games, and the season derailed from there. But Graham Mertz threw five touchdowns yesterday. The Badgers didn't have to lean. They still had over 100 rushing yards, maybe close to over 150 rushing yards as a team. But you saw the offense that Bobby Ingram wants to run in Wisconsin when he came here. You saw that against Northwestern. You didn't see any of that in the first five weeks. So that me, that lets me know that Paul Christ was just, he just could not let go of the offensive play calling. No matter how hard he tried, no matter how much pressure was put on him, no matter how much it was hurting his job, he could not let go of having most of, if not all of the influence on the play calling. So now Jim Leonard steps in, the defensive coordinator steps in as interim head coach. He says, hey, Bobby Ingram, I'm going to need you to take over the offense. You're going to be doing the play calling. Of course, Jim Leonard is still the head coach, so he has final say. But Bobby Ingram now takes control of this offense, and we saw just a little bit of what he wants to run for this offense, and that's getting Graham Mertz throwing the ball, getting Graham Mertz out of the pocket a little bit. You saw Graham Mertz making throws on the run, stepping up in the pocket, what an incredible performance from the Badgers just all around yesterday as well. The defense still looked great. Jim Leonard is still going to be calling the defensive plays, even as the interim head coach. But you saw what the Badgers were able to do on offense yesterday, and that, I think, is another huge reason reason why Paul Christ was let go. He wasn't able to relinquish the offensive play calling. He couldn't. He just couldn't do it, and it was to his detriment. Because the Badgers' offense was just so stagnant. It was just so predictable, lacking big plays, unless it was a run play. Unless it was a Braylon Allen breaking through, the Badgers were just lacking on offense. And, I mean, they were just too predictable. And then once you knew it was third and over seven, you knew they were going to have to throw it. And then teams were just able to tee off on Grand Mertz. Yesterday we saw... A lot of we saw drives where they didn't even run the ball, and Graham Mertz comes out with five touchdowns. You know Graham Mertz now is capable of having a game like this, so that was very exciting to see in the first game since the Paul Christ era. You know this is what Bobby Ingram wants to do, so that is another reason why Paul Christ he just wasn't able to relinquish the offensive play calling. Jim Leonard, being the defensive guy, he's not going to call the offensive plays. He's going to say, "Hey, Bobby, you got to run the offense here." Obviously, he'll have the final say, but this is what the offense might look like now the rest of the season. Here's the rest of their schedule. They got Michigan State next week. They're 2-3, and three, or I'm sorry, 3-3. Three and three. Purdue 4-2, and two, Maryland 4-2, and two, 
at Iowa, at Nebraska, and then they finish off at home against Minnesota. I mean, the Badgers should still expect to be a bowl-eligible team, should be a minimum goal. That means staying at 500. Right now, the Badgers are 3-3. Three and three. How many games do they have left? One, two, three, four, five, six. They got six games left. So if they go, if they can win eight games, they're bowl eligible, right? So what is that? That's eight and four on the year. So if they can go eight and four, and then of course you you want them to win that Axe Trophy that they lost a year ago to Minnesota. It's been a lot close. I mean, Badgers had before, was it 2018? Before 2018, I think the Badgers had won like 19 or 20 straight games against Minnesota. Now Minnesota has won, I think, two of the last three. So that's something that the Badgers are going to want to get back as well. Bowl eligibility should still be a minimum goal for this Badgers team, even with all the obstacles in front of them, with the emotions of, of Paul Chris being fired. But I think it's still doable. And then here, lastly, other potential names for the next Badgers head coach. Jim Leonard is, of course, at the top of the list. He's going to have first crack at it, especially being the interim head coach right now. I'm sure if the if they do make a bowl this year for the Badgers, if they show, like, hey, we were able to at least stabilize the program just this season, Jim Leonard, will the job will be his to take or not. Other potential candidates. Dave Aranda is a name that I really like if the Badgers decide not to go with Jim Leonard. I am in the boat of that the ba- I want Jim Leonard to be the next Badgers head coach. Of course, if this is if they can't right the ship and it absolutely sinks and the Badgers only win one, maybe two more games the rest of the year, then we maybe we have questions, but I want Jim Leonard to be the next head coach for the Badgers. But other potential names and, and one that I like that I've heard is Dave Aranda. He is the current Badger or I'm sorry, he's the current Baylor head coach, Baylor Bears down in Texas. He is the current head coach there. He is was the former Badgers defensive coordinator from 2013 to 2015. I think then he went on to be the LSU defensive coordinator. I think so Aranda was with Gary Anderson after Gary Anderson, that whole debacle. Aranda left, became one of the highest paid assistant coaches in all of college football at LSU. Now he's the Baylor Bears head coach, doing a really good job there, but he has Wisconsin ties. Lance Leopold is a guy that has been skyrocketing to the top of head coaching candidates' lists. He is the current Kansas Jayhawks head coach, who he has just turned that program around in one year. Are they still 6-0 or undefeated at this point? But Kansas has never won football games, but now they were ranked before this past weekend. He is a a former UW-Whitewater quarterback and head coach at UW-Whitewater, where he won countless just countless Division Three titles there at Whitewater made them the powerhouse program in Division Three. So he has Wisconsin ties, Lance Leopold, I think a Wisconsin guy as well. So he is a guy that has been uh, mentioned. Sean Lewis, he is the current Kent State head coach. He's a former Badgers tight end. He's been mentioned. Dave Dorian is a guy is another name that I like as well. He is the current North Carolina State head coach, and he is another former. Badgers defensive coordinator that could come in and potentially be the next Badgers head coach. All guys looking to step up and come back to the Badger program. Those are some names with some Badger ties. Like I said, I am in the Jim Leonard boat where I want Jim Leonard to be the next head coach of the Badger football program. But if for some reason that they decide to go in another direction, these four names right here, with in my personal opinion, Dave Aranda, the Baylor head coach right now, that would be my first choice of these four names, but these are potential guys that would be at the top of Wisconsin's list of next head coaching candidates. Other names without Badger ties, there's Matt Campbell at Iowa State. Uh, Bill O'Brien actually has been mentioned, the Alabama offensive coordinator. Potential fit there, Dan Mullen. Luke Fickle, the head coach at Cincinnati. We'll see if, I mean, if he even gets considered, but he's got a very nice program going on in Cincinnati right now, making the college football playoffs a season ago as well. And then Matt Rule, who is most likely to get fired from Carolina this year at the end of the season. We'll see if he maybe comes back to the college ranks in Wisconsin, would could potentially be a destination for him. All right, that is all I have 
on the Paul, I mean, all I have, 30 minutes on Paul Christ in the Wisconsin football program, but a just shocking decision nonetheless, non, not expected in in-season firing for the Badgers, so something that took a lot of time and consideration to think about, I'm sure, for new, and this is new athletic director, Chris McIntosh, maybe took over two years ago for Barry Alvarez, so this was a huge decision. And this is something that should not have been made lightly. We've seen, this is a successful coach in Paul Christ, and we've seen how that doesn't work out where you move on from a successful coach. We saw that with Nebraska. Nebraska did that in the early 2000s, and they have been looking for their next head coach since. So this is something that is not, it's just, oh, all right, there goes Paul Christ. Boom, here comes, here comes Jim Leonard. Here comes Dave Aranda. Here comes whoever, and they're going to be fine. The Badgers program is just going to be fine going forward. It's not that easy, and hopefully it is that easy for the Badgers. Hopefully Jim Leonard is the guy and can take this program to the next step. I really hope he can because the Badgers should be competing for the college football playoffs, and especially with the college football playoffs expanding to 12 teams, which is something we haven't talked about yet. It's expanding to 12 teams in, I believe, the 2026 season. That is something the absolutely the Badgers should be competing for year in and year out. And they haven't been doing that since 2019 when they made the Rose Bowl. So hopefully it's that easy where Jim Leonard could step in and take them to that next height. All right, let's move on now to NFL Week 5. It's upon us here. We have to talk about this Tua Tagovailoa injury quick and concussions in the NFL. So it was Week 3, and it was Bills, Dolphins, and Tua Tagovailoa gets pushed after a throw falls on his back and slams his head against the ground. He gets up and he's wobbling where he falls back down again, gets up and his teammates have to hold him. He would come out of the game for the rest of that first half there after hitting his head, but then he returned after halftime to play in the second half after maybe it was 20 minutes, right? And he somehow had passed their concussion protocol even after we saw him stumble and fall in that game. I don't know how he was able to return in that one. Then, of course, we saw what happened in week four on Thursday night in primetime. And the compounding effects of Tua hitting his head a second time really hard. We saw the scary sight with his fingers up to his head. He had to be stretched off, all of that. He was able to fly home that night. But, oh, my goodness, how did it even get to that point? How, did he, how was he able to play in that Dolphins-Bills game? doesn't matter that they got the win and that he was still able to complete passes you know he still had that concussion then we see what happened in week four and now the compounding effects of hitting his head like that you don't know what the repercussions of that could be it could be long after his it could be after his career is done that we see the effects of that and that's something that could have been avoided where he just sits out a week maybe two weeks probably just a week because they had that 10-day rest it was, it was basically going to be two weeks. So he, he misses that Thursday night game against the Bengals just out of precautionary reasons, you know? Man, that was very disappointing to see. It almost seemed like the NFL has taken a step back when it comes to their NFL concussion protocol. I mean, the NFL Players Association then fired the independent neurologist that cleared Tua Tagovailoa to return in week three. Every NFL team has an independent neurologist. They are the ones that have to clear a player of concussion-like symptoms from the concussion protocol. It's not the team's choice, right? And the reason that it's it's this independent neurologist is because you are, are worried. Unfortunately, this is a worry, even though coaches say it all the time. You're worried that a team would just put a player back into play, even if they are showing concussion symptoms, right? Because they need to win the game. You're worried that teams would do that. So this independent neurologist is supposed to take that out of the equation. They are supposed to say, hey, this guy has a concussion. Sorry, coach. I don't care. He's coming out of the game. After what we saw on the field, everybody saw that. He was still allowed to come back into the second half of the game. And then we saw what happened in week four. So the independent neurologist has been fired. And apparently he did not understand his role is what I read or what Ian Rappaport said 
with the team in the concussion protocol. I mean, my goodness. Now the NFL and the NFLPA have agreed to a new concussion protocol that they are immediately sending out there. And I believe what happened, what we saw with Tua, where if a guy hits his head and is stumbling on the field, he cannot return to the game. The thing, like when, when with Tua Tagovailoa's fingers in week four, that is a that is a symptom that is is once you see that the guy is immediately ruled out for the rest of the game. I believe stumbling now is gonna. I mean, I don't know how it wasn't before. It was a very sad sight to see, and you hope Tua Tagovailoa is going to be okay for the rest of the season. I mean, coaches say all the time, I would never put a player back out there to risk if he was at further risk. Now you got Mike McDaniel at having to answer all of these questions. I mean, the Dolphins have kind of just been a mess from an organizational standpoint for the past couple of years. When they when they try to get Tom Brady in there, then the firing of Brian Flores, their owner, of course, having just all these allegations brought against him as well. And now you've got this. So hopefully this new concussion protocol that the NFL and the NFL Players Association agreed to can help minimize. I mean, we, it, we hadn't heard much about concussions in the NFL for a couple of years now. But, I mean, you saw guys. It was interesting. That in, before this happened with Tua Tagovailoa, guys would look like they'd get dinged or they'd get hit pretty hard on the head, right, in the game. They'd come out for a couple plays. They're back in the game. The very next week, week four, after the Tua injury, because it was the first game of week four, after the Tua injury in week four, I must have heard of at least five to ten players ruled out for the rest of the game with concussion pro- like symptoms, concussion protocol. Now teams are being extra cautious because of how it might look if they put a guy back in there. That's how you should be every time when it comes to a player's head, right? So it's just disappointing that it had to come to this with Tua for these changes to be made, and then for other teams to take this kind of precautionary measures with their players. Where if a guy makes a big hit and it has his head involved in it, he comes up a little fuzzy or something like that, says he's fine. You know what? Just don't risk it. Give him the rest of the game. And then if he passes passes the concussion protocol during the week, that's fine. We saw that with the Packers now with Adrian Amos. Amos. He went out in the Packers game against the Patriots, able to pass concussion protocol during the week leading up to this London game against the Giants. Just take them out of the game for that one and let them see if they can pass all of the tests that they have to do during the week. So that was just unfortunate that it led to that and the Tua injury. Tua also already been ruled out for week five against the Jets. All right. So let's move on. NFL standings, about a quarter-ish way through the season right now. The Eagles, the last unbeaten team at 4-0. You got the Chiefs, Bills, Packers, Vikings, Dolphins, Cowboys, and Giants all at 3-1. I mean, you got the, the Cow- or, I'm sorry, you got the Packers and the Giants, both 3-1 teams in London going at it right now. You got some impressive 2-2 two two teams in the Buccaneers, the whole NFC West, Ravens, Bengals, and Chargers looking to get above 500 this week as well. I mean, just a quick recap of week four. The Bills were able to come back on the Ravens, down 20-3 to at one point, able to win that one 23-20. And the Ravens now have given up two huge leads. They gave up a 21-point lead to the Dolphins in week two. Now they give up this 17-point lead to the Bills in week four, both of these at home as well. That could be a concern going forward. Packers escape the Patriots in overtime. 27 to 24 at home. This might be how the Packers have to win some games this season with their offense not being as explosive yet. But once Aaron Rodgers and these Packers new wide receivers get some chemistry, I think this offense can really explode once again. The Chiefs, they hang 41 points on the Buccaneers defense. I mean, the Chiefs are even with the Eagles being undefeated, and last episode I just raved about how impressive I thought the Eagles were. They're still very impressive, but the Chiefs are probably the number one team in the NFL. They're just, they still have the number one offense, and that's without Tyreek Hill. And that's just because Mahomes can just go and trust Andy Reid and can just try, hey, all right, these receivers are there. All right, I'll throw it to him. He's hitting guys like Justin Watson, Jalen Watson, 
I mean, he's hitting all of these guys that none of us even know, and they're still putting up that kind of numbers on the number one defense in the Buccaneers. Lions, man, this is just heartbreaking. They lost to the Seahawks 48-45. What an insane shootout. The Lions have the number one. Actually, the Lions have the number one offense. I take back what I said about the Chiefs. The Lions have the number one offense, but they have the 32nd ranked defense. They have to be able to start winning some of these close games. Their defense has got to improve somehow. That's just uh, unfortunate. Like I said, the Eagles are the last unbeaten team. They beat the much improved Jaguars. I mean, Doug Peterson is the front runner right now for coach of the year with the way he's turned around the Jags in these first four weeks. And, and especially Trevor Lawrence has looked really great. But the Eagles able to defeat them 29-21 to stay unbeaten. And now Kenny Pickett, here it is. Kenny Pickett comes in relief of Mitch Trubisky last week, and he will be the starting quarterback today in week five. So that's going to be fun to watch the first, the only first-round pick at quarterback this year, Kenny Pickett, now the starting quarterback in Pittsburgh. So we have some fun week five games ahead of us as well, like I mentioned, Packers and Giants. Green Bay is the last team to play in London and has one of the biggest fan bases there. If you haven't seen all the reaction to the Packers being in London, it's incredible. Going to get Saquon right now versus the Packers defense. And then Aaron Rodgers in London as well. Should be fun. Uh, I'm sorry. I just combined Bengals and Ravens into one word, and I said, uh, like, Rengals. But it's Bengals versus Ravens on Sunday night football. Top two teams in the AFC North, in my opinion, and the Bengals have won their past two games after starting 0-2. So that should be a fun one. Cowboys versus Rams. The Cowboys have won three straight with Cooper Rush at quarterback. Dak Prescott not ready to return yet. And the Rams have been struggling. They took an absolute beating from the 49ers on Monday Night Football. So that should be a good one. Eagles and Cardinals, the last unbeaten team versus a pesky Cardinals team with Kyler Murray. And then we're going to get Jalen Hurts versus Kyler Murray. And then we get Raiders versus Chiefs on Monday Night Football. Always fireworks when these two meet. And now it's going to be in prime time as well. So a fun slate of games for week five ahead of us. Let's go ahead then and get to our final thought on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Fantasy football injuries starting to pile up for a lot of these players. Jonathan Taylor, he just missed week five, missing the Thursday night game in Denver. Keenan Allen still out. Javante Williams, Michael Thomas, Cordero Patterson, David Montgomery, DeAndre Swift, Alvin Kamara, guys like this missing a lot of games. Javante Williams, the running back for Denver, out for the season with a torn ACL. Cordero Patterson out for at least a month going on the IR. DeAndre Swift missing his second game in a row. And you see this all the time with running backs. And this is why for fantasy football, I went with the zero RB strategy. Remember where you don't take a running back in the first three to four rounds? This is how it works. When a lot of running backs start to get hurt, you start to have backups and those guys you pick up for that week. So if it's Javante Williams, now it's Melvin Gordon, who might not have been on the waiver wire, but is an option that you probably got maybe in the 10th round, right? These guys start to become RB1s for just that week. And it's a week-to-week thing. It turns into a week-to-week thing sometimes for running backs and waiting for some guys. It's not something that you wish. It's not something I'm wishing for Jonathan Taylor to get injured. I love watching Jonathan Taylor play. I don't want to see Javante Williams go down with injury. But it just happens more frequently at this running back position. So you wait. Some of these guys get injured, and that's just the facts of the running back position in fantasy football, which is why we try. I tried. I know a friend of mine that tried it. He's been trying it for a couple of years now. We try the zero RB approach this year and load up on top-tier pass catchers in a passing league, right? So it's something that it, it's, it's a long-term approach to the fantasy football season, you wait for some of these guys that you just know are going to have injuries. Right now, I'm 2-2 two and two in one of my leagues, 1-3 in the other two leagues, but it's starting to look up in terms of having guys that are healthy on my team where other teams are missing their number one pick, like a Jonathan Taylor, or are missing their second round pick in a Javante Williams, in a DeAndre Swift. So we'll see if it starts turning around. Two and two 
in the league that I, I care about most because that one has a punishment and the punishment always scares me. But we'll see. And it's unfortunate that a lot of these big names are getting injured right now as well. I mean, we've also got quarterbacks like Trey Lance, Dak Prescott, out to a tug of Iloa, out with injury as well. But this is why we try the zero RB approach. And I'm going to be updating you all year on how it's been working for me. And we'll see how it goes. All right. And then final, final thought on this episode of the final, final podcast. The MLB postseason is upon us. And Aaron Judge has closed the case on who leads the American League in home runs for a season. Aaron Judge gets his second, 62nd, I'm sorry, home run passing Roger Maris with 61 for the American League record. Absolutely incredible season. Will lead to an MVP award. And he just barely got there. It was the second to last game of the season where he got that home run that put him over the top. There was He, he was on a tear, right, in the second half of this season to get to this point. Then it was, I believe, up to the last week he had 60 home runs. Then it was took him seven games to get 61. Then it took him another five, I think, to get 62. It came down to the wire for Aaron Judge, but wow, what an incredible season. Now we also don't have to worry about those like uh, live look-ins on an Aaron Judge at bat when there's college football going on, which, believe me, I believe this, this 62 home run record is very cool, the American League record, excuse me. I believe it's very cool. I believe it's historic, certainly, and especially that Aaron Judge in a Yankees uniform passes Roger Maris and Babe Ruth, who did it in Yankees uniforms. Very cool. But it, uh, don't interrupt college football with a live look-in. If somebody wanted to watch an Aaron Judge at-bat, believe me, they would have gone and turned the channel to an Aaron Judge at-bat. ESPN and these other ABC, of course, having college football on on Saturdays, and then they're like, oh, hey, let's go to a two-box and watch Aaron Judge try to hit a home run, and then you just end up watching him strike out. Like Now we don't have to deal with that anymore. Like I said, nonetheless, very impressive and very cool that this happened for Aaron Judge, but you don't need to interrupt college football for it. If you wanted my opinion on this debate that's been going around, Barry Bonds is still the official record holder in the MLB, for home runs in a season was 73. If you wanted my opinion on that debate that's been circling, Barry Bonds still holds the record. A lot of people think now that Aaron Judge is the new home run leader because Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, the steroid era of baseball, people are trying to discredit that or just they're saying those guys are not the official MLB record holder. No, Barry Bonds, these guys are the official record holder at 73 home runs in a season. Barry Bonds still holds that record. That's my opinion on that debate, just in case you were wondering right there. Still can't take away what Aaron Judge did, breaking this AL record that has been held for over 60 years. Nonetheless, Barry Bonds still holds that record right there at 73. Albert Pujols ends his career. The Cardinals were knocked out of the wild card round of the playoffs from the Philadelphia Phillies. 703 career home runs. I mean, absolutely unbelievable. His last at-bat in an MLB game in the postseason was a single as well. This guy is going to be a first ballot, one of the legendary. It's, he's a legend among legends, Albert Pujols is. Three-time MVP, all that kind of stuff. And I'm glad that he got to 700 home, one, home runs. I almost kind of wish that he would have just stopped there. But, I mean, 703. It's still Albert Pujols' legendary career comes to an end after the Cardinals get eliminated in the playoffs. The Brewers miss out on the playoffs of the wild card as their bullpen collapses down the stretch here. But let's take a look at what we have for our playoff lineup. We had the Guardians. They just won in the wild card round against the Tampa Bay Rays. They take that series 2-0, so it's going to be the Guardians and the Yankees in the American League Division Series. The other Division Series, the Seattle Mariners. They just absolutely ended the drought of of over 20 years of missing the playoffs, I believe. Now they win the wildcard series against the Toronto Blue Jays. They came back. They were down, I believe, 9-1. to They were down 7, no, 8-1. to They were down 7 runs, able to win game 2 of the wildcard series against the Toronto Blue Jays in Toronto, nonetheless. Able to come back down from 7 runs and win that game to win the series. They win 10-9. Now, though, they have to go and face the Houston Astros in the American League Division Series. You got the Phillies 
and the St. Louis Cardinals. The Phillies, like I said, they sweep the Cardinals in that three-game series. Now I believe they get – who do they get? Oh, boy, do they get the Dodgers? No, 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 they get the Braves. They get the defending champion Braves. So Phillies-Braves will be the National League Division Series. And then we have the San Diego Padres at the New York Mets. That series is tied 1-1 to in the wild card. Winner go home. Game 3 is tonight, Sunday. What is today? The 9th. So that Game 3 is Sunday tonight. And the winner of that series will go on to face the Dodgers. So we'll have Braves-Phillies, the National League Division Series. Then the two American League Division Series, we have the Houston Astros versus the Seattle Mariners and the New York Yankees versus the Cleveland Guardians. And then we'll get the Dodgers versus either the Padres or the Mets. Should be exciting. Playoff baseball is always electrifying as well. I mean, we had the Guardians and the Tampa Bay Rays in Game 2 go 15 innings yesterday. 15 innings, and it ends in a walk-off home run, 1-0 win. I know you're probably thinking, like, why is that exciting? It was 0-0 for 14 and a half innings. Well, when it's playoff baseball, it's a little bit more exciting. If that was a regular season game, of course, who cares? But this is the playoffs now, so that is a very exciting matchup. And that is an incredible way to finish that as well. All right. That is all I have for you on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, of course, we'll still catch up with the NFL and week five. We'll we'll talk more about college football and we'll probably discuss that twelve team playoff format that is coming. We won't be able or we won't be at least talking as much about Paul Christ anymore as we are now in the Jim Leonard era of Wisconsin Badgers football. And I'm very excited to see how it works. I'm I've been a huge fan of Jim Leonard ever since he became the defensive coordinator. So I'm excited to see how he leads this Badger program. Still sad for Paul Chris, but now we move on to Jim Leonard. All right, that's all I have for you. Thanks for tuning in. As always, stay safe out there, and you are listening to The Final Final.